Welcome to the poem, the Parsha, the podcast, and today it is going to be the poem, the Megillah, the podcast. I know it's a. This is this is not something we have done before. Well, we might have done it last year with Maya Angelou, phenomenal woman, but not. It's okay. Here is something that I'm thinking about. Okay. The poem that we chose for this week is not a poet who is part of the capital A Academy. I am with you on that. And, and, and by the way, I'm Rivi. And I'm Adrian. And this is the podcast. Of course. But so here's what I was thinking about, and this is what I've been thinking about for the last, I'd say, 24 hours. That the Megillah occupies a strange space in the canon of Jewish text. This particular poem that we have chosen does not occupy a common space in the canon of poetry. And I really think it's important that we chose the Megillah to look outside the capital A Academy because the Academy was so closed to so many for mm. so long that I think it is absolutely appropriate that when we look at the Megillah, we look outside the scope of what we call sort of capital P poetry. Well, I'm really thrilled for you to mention that. You know, we found this poem and... Everyone will soon hear in a moment why it is the poem that was selected. Mm -hmm. I think that right now, as we look at the Megillah, we cannot help but look at the Megillah through the lens of what's going on right now in Ukraine mm -hmm. and in Russia. And this morning I heard on the news a sentence that kind of gave me chills. Mm -hmm. It said a woman was speaking from the Ukraine, from Ukraine, mm -hmm. and she said, mm. "We did not think this would ever happen again in Europe." <sighs> That, yes. I, yes. The, Just yes. And so we're all trying to deal with what do we do about megalomaniac, power-hungry people. Imperialists. Who are actively harming the world. And so what's the name of the poem we're doing? I will not bow. Say it again. I will not bow. Amen. Um, so, this is I Will Not Bow by Nina McNally. Um, there is very little information about this poet, but we want to acknowledge the wonderfulness of their work with this poem. This is I Will Not Bow. I will sit here alone, wondering how I'm going to do this, but I will not bow, I will not break. As long as I have this life, and as long as I am breathing, I will fight. And now is the time to help others, because even if I am in department, there are other people who have it worst. But I can't help them quite yet as much as I would love to. Only time can tell. But first, I will have to help myself. No running. I will be fine. On one hand, I will not bow. To me, of course, is Mordechai. Mm -hmm. Yet by the time we make it to the end of the poem, I hear Esther's voice. Mm -hmm. We know, of course, the story of the Megillah, of the holiday of Purim. We mm -hmm. know that after Haman is appointed to be second to the king and his, his throne or his chair is placed above all ministers, mm -hmm. that he then insists on everyone bowing to him. Mm -hmm. Everyone was bow and prostrate themselves because the king commanded such. Mm -hmm. And then one of the finest lines in scripture mm -hmm. 
and Mordechai would not bow, nor would he prostrate himself. Now, this act of defiance landed the Jews worldwide, 127 provinces, in a little bit of a pickle. Yes. I mean, it's Purim, so we have to use words like pickle. Uh, yes! Uh, I mean, they are now, uh, there's now going to be a threatened global genocide. Mm-hmm. And it's because he refuses to bow. And so I think the first question that we have to ask of our poet is... What does it mean, I will not bow? And are you ready to suffer the consequences? Um, yes. Yes, and. Now is the time to help others, because even if I am in department, there are others who have it worst. I think there is an acknowledgement of the fact that there is, that safety to all is threatened, um, I think, hold on, I'm, I'm just gathering my thoughts about specifically how do we cope as an individual with standing apart in moments like this, in, in, in moments of, of an oppressor oppressing as they do. What does it mean to stand against this particular I mean, the force alone is what's, incredible. What's very interesting is, as you said those words, what came to me is Tiananmen Square. Yeah, 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 the tank man. Yeah, but you know what? They very swiftly squelched that rebellion. Yes. And so I'm wondering what the, and I guess that's because it was within China, China within China. Yes. As opposed to what's going on now with yeah. Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. And, and people are standing up and they will not bow. Certainly yes. not our friend Zelensky. Who seems to have a really good voice. Yeah. Take a look at those videos posted on you I, know, yes. YouTube. It's Reddit. Or on the Facebook. Yes. Let's talk about this idea of not bowing. And Mordecai does not bow, and many ask the question, why? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. I've been talking to lots of people on, you know, podcast classes. You There's know. a lot to so say. So just going to hope that I never said this on this podcast. But so why does he not bow? He may not what are the reasons why? Because the text doesn't tell us. No. And, and I do want to say, for the record, in study of text, what's great is when the text doesn't say why. I, this is a conversation that I have had so many times about being, the, about the discomfort of the mystery of text. The purposeful ambiguity yes. is what makes the Torah the Torah. Yes. And there, this is one of those times where I am fine living with the mystery. I do not feel the urge to rush in and explain it. All I can say is that, like, as a person in the world who lives an emotional life, I can understand, one, the impulse to not bow. I'm also just sort of, like, um, anti-authoritarian enough to sort of like I would be like yeah thanks no I'm good yeah um just like on a deeply personal level like I'm not gonna bow to you like you got all these other people to bow to you why do I need to do it too okay I Um, know it was a really minor event in one's life but do you I have a I will not bow moment do you have an I have many many let's hear one um oh gosh there are so many I I I grew up in a place that was deeply patriarchal and was and and very much subscribed to the boys will be boys attitude of one of my favorites of uh, right like i just love that it's my favorite flavor um 
very much subscribe to like a boys will be boys attitude about boys and about sort of giving them privilege and giving them space to occupy without fully understanding the consequences of this. And there were so many times when I was very young, I'm talking like 12, where I just sort of said, this is not okay. And I'm going to tell you an adult that this is not okay because you can't seem to see that like I am a whole person and I am occupying this space that you then want these males to take. I mean, and sometimes it was like, I have no brothers. Mm. I have no brothers. I have very few male cousins. I have. So who are these um, um, males that are uh, like standing up to like athletic teams? Oh, I see. Like, um, well, and just general, like the, the space that, that the boys would take in the classroom um, there, there was never a lens that, to me, I mean, remember, I'm a girl and a child, right? There was never this sort of lens of the boys are taking up a lot of space in this particular moment. Let's, let's give those, let's, let's put a boundary there so that other voices can be heard. I... And I was not about to subscribe shall we say and I was often the voice who said like you stop talking it's my turn because they're not going to give you a turn no I am with you I'm, I'm with you 100% and I would like to say as you know we interrupt this program to bring you a message from our um, whatever it's called uh, sponsors sponsors I work really hard when teaching to yes. call on boy, girl, boy, girl, yes. boy, girl. Because if you don't do that, sometimes you will only have certain well, voices in the room. And, and when you are, I'm specifically coming from a place where that boundary had never been set in the history of sort of our educational lives. I hear you. And so I am very cautious now when I am teaching that I am giving space to all voices because... And and there are so many ways to do that. And yes, there's so many. Like, there are tools upon tools for that. And um, so when I see this I will not bow moment, I really see it as sort of that small voice that is willing to say, I'm going to take up space specifically because you told me I can't. And wondering about authority. So... I will not bow to me means I am defying authority. It's the yes. speak truth to power. Yes. And, and why does Hama not bow? To me is more about I will speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. And Rabbi Soloveitchik talks about it. There are definitely some commentaries that talk about how perhaps Haman had a statue mm-hmm. dangling from his neck. Yeah. And that, and so he couldn't bow to him. Then there are some ideas that Haman had sold his soul to Mordechai in a Faustian kind of way. After oh my. traveling through the desert and not having water. Um, but, the, but the reason he refuses to bow that resonates most with me is one that's articulated beautifully by Rabbi Soloveitchik. And he basically says Haman was the quintessential power-hungry person the imperialist you know, the imperialist and that needs to be defied that absolutely needs to be defied then as in now yes we must it's something that for some reason human beings cannot seem to shake themselves interesting from. there seems to be a human malady of authoritarianism I yes. have the power I need the power yes I can't be who I am unless I make you feel small Yes. 
And yes. that's and that's the I will not bow. Yeah. And I'm going to say that once upon a time when I was going to school and once upon a time when I was in high school, there was a assistant principal that said to me, come stand right here. And I said, no. And he said, I want you to come over here. And I said, no. And then he said, you must stand right here. And I said, no. And then I was suspended. Now, to this... That's a similar experience, but I let someone else take the fall. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But I took but that it, suspension with pride. I not that I, I set them up necessarily. It was that that person had actually been the reason uh, that I was well in then, trouble. Well, I was standing up for someone else. And so when someone said, you have this punishment, and I said, no. I take that punishment. And what about the person who said X, Y, Z and harmed another person? What about them? They were like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? Never mind. You can get X slightly less punishment, but they can do this particular punishment that I gave you. And, you know, let's take note that it's the eyes of March today. Yeah, I was just about to say, and, and a two brute. And you know what? Sometimes those leaders need to be brought down a notch. They do. Although the scene in Julius Caesar is not so clear. It's so strange. It's so strange. I've seen Julius Caesar yes. more than once. Taught Julius Caesar. Yes, read Julius Caesar. Saw it. I, it's really hard to get to the bottom of why did they, after all, kill him. And it's not as if they did not then put another imperialistic leader in yes, his place. Yes, yes. I... I that sort of like strange I feel like there is a moral gray area that we are never fully um asked to explore well in that particular play and speaking of Shakespeare because I think we were yes I saw Hamlet on Sunday and you know it's just remarkable because he's known and I read Harold Bloom on him yes and Harold Bloom sees Hamlet as the figure, the yes. the figure in all of Shakespeare, and the personality that is akin to no one else except perhaps King David. Hmm. And I've just been pondering that hmm. and pondering that. And I'm just thinking a lot about Hamlet. On one hand, he's doing what's right, standing yes. up for his father yes, being yes, killed. Yes, yes, yes. Yet at the end of the play, everyone is dead. Polonius is dead. Laertes is dead. Yeah. Ophelia is dead. Gertrude is dead. Claudius is dead. And the Ophelia role is not... It occupies a really strange space. Very strange space. And there's a lot of conversation about what is Ophelia doing in that play. Yes. Um, But but the question is, Hamlet is speaking truth to power, Mm -hmm. but it did not turn out well. I mean, the end of the play is everyone's laying dead on the stage. Uh, does it always end well when we speak truth to power, I think is the question I would well, ask. And that brings like, us back to the Megillah. Because yes. Because we had Jews in 127 provinces almost die because of this. Yes. And then there's Esther, who peacefully, simply points it out, and okay, the decree is annulled. Yes. So maybe instead of, I will not bow, maybe it should be, Folks, can we have a conversation? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I think we've got two different dynamics. I think there is one, the question of can we have a conversation? And two, the question of there are times where you have to, I will not bow. There are times where that has to happen. There are times where the conversation is hap- it needs to happen. Are, are they in the correct place? And I don't mean that as like, is the Torah wrong? I mean that in terms of the human experience of are we always going to know when it's the right time not to bow and when it's the right time to, to talk to somebody? I don't think we always are. 
And I think when we're feeling so threatened, Mm -hmm. the impulse is the I will not bow impulse, not the sit down with me, let's talk. Okay, I hear you. And I want us to talk about Esther because I really hear Esther's voice in this last paragraph, interestingly, because she in her own way is putting herself out there Mm -hmm. actually quite dramatically. And we're trying to wonder what's going on in her mind as she summons up the courage to go to Ahasuerus. And I'm thinking to myself, is she saying this? But I can't help them quite yet as much as I would love to. Only time can tell. But first, I will have to help myself. No running. I will be fine. Well, she has to help herself because she has to keep herself alive. She has to keep her family alive. She has to keep her uncle alive. Yes. She's going to be fine. She can't run. She's going to have to go into that antechamber Mm -hmm. and offer herself to Ahasuerus Mm -hmm. and finally reveal that, by the way, my beloved king, I'm a Jew. That does not feel good. I mean, he could have easily offed her. Yes, very easily. But there, that that moment feels very, very, very unsafe. And I think it's okay to acknowledge, acknowledge the bravery in going into the antechamber is the same bravery or perhaps even greater bravery than mm. I will not bow. Mm. And there is this magnificent, magnificent midrash. And midrash fills in the missing dialogue, the missing feelings, the missing emotions. And what was Esther going through when she walks through? And that somebody Mm. um, speaks about this in context to Psalm, I think it's 51. I'm going to check. But the idea is 22nd chapter. Sorry, everybody. 22nd chapter. So it's really cool to read the 22nd chapter of Psalms and see it as the inner dialogue that Esther is having within herself. And mm. that's, by the way, is a very famous line. And I know as soon as I say this line, you are going to recognize why it is so famous. And I'm going to read a little bit of it. It's, mm. is the morning star. Yes. And here comes the line. Okay. Eli, Eli, lama azavtani rachok miyushuati divrei shakati. Oh God, oh God, why have you abandoned me? And I think we all know why it's famous. Do you know why it's famous? This isn't a test. I'll just say it. Tell me. Um, Eli, Eli, lama azavtani. My God, my God, why have you not abandoned me? Friends, is what Jesus says on the cross. <gasps> That's right. If you've heard a quick interruption, there was, but we're going to bring it right back and say... The lesson of the Megillah is so powerful. I will yes. not bow. And sometimes we got to figure out how to make things happen. It's true. And we can also acknowledge that, that there are many kinds of bravery present in the text. And the self-preservation and the communal preservation instinct can come from the same place. Amen. Amen. Happy Purim, Happy everyone. Happy Purim.